Welcome back to the Hockey House Pod, episode 117, presented by Optimex Sports. I'm your host, Mackenzie Murphy, as we bring you the latest news from around the ACHA and AAU college hockey world. Full house tonight. Everybody's on board. Happy to have Fitz in the booth. Collins is here. David Herman, our executive producer as well. We'll throw it over to Fitzy first. Fitzy, I mean, you, you got to be a busy guy these days. How How is life in the SPHL? It's been unreal here. The way they, they treat you here, not, not a knock to the Fed, but it's like night and day. The guys are super nice. Everything's just been a lot of fun. Been playing well, so, so that's good. I looked it up earlier. I, I lasted to like November 7th in Birmingham last year. So I, I got to make it a few more days to make it longer than I than I was alive last year in the uh, in the spill. But nothing but good things. So a lot of fun. Happy I'm here. Is there anything that you've had to change in your game? I know you had a stint there in Birmingham to start last year, but you had a very good good year in the fed is there anything you've had to change or is the coaching staff like hey we signed you for a reason because we want the way that you played in the fed yeah they've told me they they want me starting the rushes like i like to keep using my speed and everything they told me just go out there and have fun play my game act like you belong here and have confidence and that's been huge for me i think that's the biggest thing is having confidence in my play got the first sp point the other days that was a good one to get off the back just need to get the first goal now well it's got to be a big boost when you see that your hoosiers are tearing it up another big sweep for IU. We got to silence the haters. We're getting a lot of comments after they swept Kentucky because people think we're a pro Kentucky podcast and I uh, wanted to make sure we gave the boys at IU some love. And I, I know you've been doing the same. Yeah, I think they're off to like one of their best starts. They put up some stat. Yeah, they're killing it. It's a lot of fun to watch. Another team that it was killing it this weekend was the, the Villanova Wildcats. Did you guys travel or were you guys at home this weekend, Collins? We made the van ride, the 30 minute van ride downtown to go play Drexel. Got a win for the first time in at least five years over Drexel, which was a very satisfying feeling. Things just did not go well against Temple. I'm not one to make excuses. But yes, we lost 5-2 that night. Really busy getting back to school. Enjoyed a, a, a wonderful fall break uh, over in uh, in Scotland and London, which was uh, uh, a good time. A lot, of, a lot of good golf to be played. But we're back in the hockey house and we're back on the hockey house. So glad to have made my uh, my long-awaited return. I got to ask, were there any club hockey ties over in Scotland? Like, did you see any obscure ACHA apparel? No obscure ACHA apparel, but I did learn about the English College Hockey League, and it is insane over there. It runs very similar to the ACHA. One of my old buddies actually used to play for them, but the St. Andrews Typhoons, they play out of an EIHL rink. They get like 2,000 people a game. They have some of the sickest uniforms I've ever seen. Typhoon is a fighter jet. What's cooler than fighter jets? A while ago, we were talking about worst mascots to face off against if it was just like a mascot fight. That might be able to take down Drexel Dragons. Are the Typhoons a plane school? Are they allowed to have that as a mascot? No, they're not a plane school. St. Andrews is just a regular, regular old college, just like any other college here. Only the hockey team goes by the Typhoons. The rest of the school, I think, are just the Saints. It was really cool to learn about that. And they're allowed to wear visors there, which is sick. Yeah, I, I kind of want a Typhoon jersey right now. I don't even know what they look like, but you just describing them makes me want one on my wall. We'll throw it over to our executive producer, David Herman. Herm, how are we doing tonight? Doing great. Battling a lingering cough as my co-host Mackenzie Murphy has been doing for as long as I've known him. Yeah, pretty much as long as this podcast has been a thing. I think I've had the cough. We just... 
the hockey house cuff. Comets are looking to find their groove. Tough start for them. Just a, a little bit of a, a bumpy road to to start the season. Good news as Nico Dawes took the ice for the first time since last season this morning. He passed me in the hallway and I almost dropped my camera. I was like, I didn't expect to see you for another month or so. The, what What are you doing here? And he was like, we're close. We're real close. So it's really, really great to see him back. He had hip surgery over the offseason just to take care of a nagging issue. Really, really great to, to have him back on the ice real soon. Funny enough, I was down in Boston this weekend visiting my girlfriend. And speaking of obscure club hockey apparel, there was a guy running in Southie wearing a Villanova club hockey shirt and he was running so fast that I couldn't hunt him down to to ask who he was. Oh, he graduated recently most likely. Did he have short hair? Again, this was like Friday night. We were walking to dinner. So he's running. It's dark. It's like six o'clock on a Friday night. Like hats off to him for running. That could only be Jack Marecki running, running at 6 p.m. on his on a Friday night. Spent the weekend in Boston. You know, was doing some some content. Got to watch a couple of streams. Saturday night went to Matthews Arena, caught some NCAA hockey, Merrimack College. My younger brother works for the team there. So we went and watched. They played Northeastern. Honestly, like a bucket list arena to go to. I think Matthews Arena is one of the oldest in-use hockey arenas in North America. I think that's the stat. It was the original home of the Bruins in 1924 and you know the Bruins celebrating 100 years just shows how old the, the rink is. It's one of those cool ones like we were sitting in the upper deck but we couldn't see the near side boards because we were that on top of the ice. Pretty empty crowd though. I was I was I was going to fire off a tweet like do you think there's more people at Liberty's game right now? I didn't feel like ticking off too many people on the internet and and Liberty was at Delaware and they were struggling at Delaware. We'll get to that in a little bit. But all in all, it was a really good weekend. Got to hop behind the bench today. It was my first practice with the Mount Washington Valley Youth Hockey 6U and 8U teams. I look like such a hardo because I'm decked out in all my Cuse hockey apparel, my Cuse helmet, my Cuse gloves. All these kids are wearing mismatching gear with Milan Lucic Bruins jerseys. And, you know, I'm just running a little monkey in the middle in the corner. We're passing pucks. We're doing edges. And it is, oh my gosh, it is like probably the most fun I'll have all week. And we have a very exciting week ahead of us. David Herman is making his homecoming trip to Athens, Ohio breaking news right now that by the time this comes out it'll be public knowledge but the hockey house tour is hitting the road again myself herm timmy k will be making the trip for dad's weekend in athens as the syracuse orange make the trip out to ohio herm you've got to be feeling pretty excited it's so so cool whenever you get the chance to go back to athens it is so challenging to describe for those who are not current ohio university students or alumni how special that place is to every single bobcat that walks through college green it's really special to to do this with two teams that i've got affinity for as well just because i've gotten so close with the cuse guys and i've kind of been watching the ohio guys from afar as an alumni and staying in close touch with the program with jess and kate and everyone else involved all of the blue line boosters who, who just do such a great job supporting the program it's going to be a really really special weekend in ohio my question for you though are you going to be a little bit more comfortable shooting from the visitors bench this time around in Athens I don't know what you're talking about Murph people forget I'm a longtime supporter of Ohio University during the COVID year 
when Syracuse was not playing, the Hockey House purchased a cardboard cutout that was at Bird. And so I have attended games at Bird, but I've never seen any in person. I've attended games, have not seen any in person. So looking forward to going as well. Tim has some amazing stories. If, if you listen to when we had Tim on as a guest, he said that Bird was one of his favorite places to play. Only issue is he, he didn't actually play. He was scratched that weekend. He just had such a good time in Athens that he cannot wait to go back as well. So we are looking forward to that. We'll get into all the predictions later on. But another week, and the ACHA is breaking the internet. I'm sure you guys have seen the clip. It was Hockey House Pod, Bleacher Report, Open Ice, Everything College Hockey, Hay Barber, Spit and Chicklets, Bar Down, Butcher Grass, Arda Ocal. Everyone and their mother was sharing this clip on the internet. Trailing Utah 2-1 in the second period on Friday night, ASU forward Matthew Gross flipped the puck off the boards behind the net. The puck goes off the glass around the Utah defender. Before it can land, he bats the puck, Zegras style, over the net to his teammate, Kane Butler, who baseball bats swings this puppy home we talked about it in the hockey house pod group chat sometimes with these viral clips you never know to me i was like i don't even know if people are gonna be able to tell what is going on in this video sure enough it's got like ten thousand views within 30 minutes and um you know everybody wanted a piece of the action collins i know you right away were like that's that's got to be a high stick right the goal was fine to me i just saw the guy's stick like when he flipped that puck up, it goes straight up above his shoulders. And that's like the definition of a high stick. It doesn't take away anything from the fact that it's still a goal. That's just a feat of athleticism I have I have never seen before. It was it was unbelievable. Call on the ice was a goal. And I think it certainly helped that Utah ended up getting the win. So I don't think anybody was too happy that it wasn't waved off. You got to give a shout out to those guys. Ethan Light fed Landon Langenbrunner for the two on one goal in overtime and the Utes got the dub. But Arizona State making all the headlines for this one it was really cool. Once again, it, it's, it's kind of like don't sleep on club hockey. Look at what guys are doing at this level. It, it's pretty freaking cool. So Herm, I'm curious what your thoughts are when, when you first saw the clip i knew immediately from the moment i saw it that this was going to be another certified hockey house pod banger i think the the twitter comment that i saw was like this needs to be in the new season of mighty ducks it's that insane and that out of a hollywood playbook that you'd be like no way in mighty ducks 4 is that ever going to happen in a real game and then it actually happens it's it was wild. Gross did like he's behind the net. He does like the play where like you're trying to go around a guy. So you flip it off the boards and it, you could kind of see it in the clip. Like he does it off the boards and like as that puck's landing down, he's like, what if I just batted this in front of the net? And nobody's expecting him to do that for him to do that. And then for Cade Butler to recognize that he can take a swing at this thing, pinata style, and he makes contact. He goes in that. You know, you got all the Utah players throwing their hands up for a high stick and they called it a good goal. Just unbelievable. Again, really good. Last week, it was West Virginia for the jerseys. This week, to have it be on ice action, I think is is even better for the game. Did want to give a shout out to the Utah boys. They were good sports about it. I, I was chatting with Dylan Dix the morning after. I was like, hey, man, like, sorry for sharing the clip. I know you guys won, but like, I got to get the clicks, right? Like, that's what we're all about. He's like, no, the boys understand. And they just wrapped up an 11 game road trip to start the year. They have been road dogs to start the year. They went. 5-5-1, five, five, and one, 500 record, and they've played some pretty darn good teams. They got swept by Arizona the first weekend. They got swept by UNLV. Other than that, they have a pretty good record, so I think the Utes are in a good position and, and looking to make a run 
at the national tournament down the road. So I want to make sure we gave those boys a shout out. But the Sun Devils weren't the only ones breaking the internet this weekend in the ACHA. Something that I'm sure, Herm, when you went to Frozen Finley last year, to hear that this is the the ripple effect of what happened at Frozen Finley, I'm sure this doesn't come as a surprise. On Friday night, Luis Fernandez Jr. of WRAL Sports broke the news that the North Carolina Tar Heel Booster Club had reached an agreement to acquire land in Chapel Hill as part of the first phase of building a permanent home for the UNC ice hockey team. My jaw hit the floor when friend of the pod Ford Hatchet and North Carolina native sent that to me. I think this is every every team's dream because once the rink gets built, it's all downhill from there and there's all this momentum. And once you have the rink built, granted, this is going to be a long journey to get this rink built. But the fact that the Booster Club went forward and said, we're going to purchase this land with the plans of building a rink here is phenomenal stuff. Fitzy, I'm curious, you played in ACHA M2. IU is a school that I'm sure would love to see a rink like how cool is that to see teams investing in their hockey programs and this isn't even from the university this is from the booster clubs themselves I gave a presentation my senior year for one of my business classes, and it was all centered around why Indiana should get a D1 hockey team, NCAA D1 hockey team. First thing on my my presentation was, you know, the arena. That's that's the biggest, you know, step in the right direction. Because once you get the arena, you can start recruiting the players. It's like, hey, we have these nice facilities, and people are going to want to come, both men's and women's teams. I think it's unreal, especially coming from a booster club. That's that's sick. Indiana's had people that have offered up money and they just the school won't go for it so hats off to the school too that they're uh they're letting it happen but yeah that's that's unreal yeah i almost wonder too if it was like you can't tell us no because we're gonna buy the land anyways like what do you you know what what are you gonna do about it so it's it's 3.99 acres just under four located in the caraway village development just off i-40 it's about five minutes from the center of unc chapel hills campus unc currently plays home games at the orange county sportsplex in hillsborough if you've seen the footage UNC could probably be drawing a lot more. There's just no bleachers here, right? So the plan is for a 2,000-seat arena to be built right off of campus. Booster Club president Greg Morey said, you know, they're very grateful for the NHL, the Hurricanes. Because of them, you know, UNC... NCAA hockey is like now a vision down the road, and, and they're taking the first step in doing so with, with these arena plans. Herm, I'm curious, like, what are your first thoughts when you see this? Hockey is really, really special at the grassroots level in North Carolina. I saw it firsthand when I went to the Wake Competition Center. You go into the lobby and you see the success of the Junior Hurricanes and what they've done for the area, what that has done to to spark interest in hockey at the youth level. At the college hockey level, you see teams not just UNC and NC State. It's teams like High Point and UNCW that are also making waves in the scene. It's awesome to see how much it's growing down south right now. Yeah, def- definitely really cool. Collins, um, before we, we move on to the next subject, like anything on your end, like it, it's got to be pre- pretty cool all around for everybody in the club hockey world to see. When you're building an ACHO program, you need three things. First, hire the head coach. Two, hire the photographer. Three, acquire millions of dollars to build a rink on campus. Uh, nonetheless, I mean, this is awesome for for college hockey in the South. I mean, I feel like that's the thing that's missing. We have Alaska. We have the Northeast. We now have the Southwest. We just need the Southeast and the West Coast to really get ourselves a real college hockey to the likes of D1 football, where it's across the nation. This just speaks volumes to what not only frozen finley has done uh what the nhl has done but what unc hockey has done to really grow themselves this is 
something that's going to be in Chapel Hill for for quite a long time. It's an arms race between UNC and NC State, right? UNC is not at the point where they've been like last year being their most successful year in program history. Like they're not doing that without getting their ass kicked by NC State a couple times every year, you know, and then that made them a better program for it. And now they have a really good season and all of a sudden there's boosters coming forward and purchasing land in Chapel Hill. Again, really good for the game of college hockey. Wanted to shift gears on a more somber note. We are an ACHAAU club hockey podcast. There was just some things in the, in the news this week in the hockey world that I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention. Wanted to, you know, mention that we're thinking of all those who have been affected by the tragedy that took place this past week in Lewiston, Maine. Growing up in North Conway, about an hour and a half from Lewiston, played at the Lewiston Colise all the time as a kid. Used to go to Lewiston Maniacs games when they played in the queue and traveling to Lewiston, Auburn. Wonderful people there to see this happen it it seemed like again one of those communities where it's like you never think it happens here and and a tragedy unfolds so you know how the ACHA gets tied into that saw a photo this weekend of Kent State goalie Nick Beck was paying tribute he wore his Lewis and Auburn Nordiques jersey prior to Saturday's game against Mercyhurst in warm-ups you know pretty cool scene with him leading the team out of the tunnel for warm-ups wearing his jersey everybody else in their Kent State home whites Beck spent the 2019-2020 season in the NA3 with the Lewiston Auburn Nordiques. Funny enough, his billet parents from Lewiston were there for the game this weekend. Just a great picture with them and him repping the jersey. His girlfriend is actually from Lewiston too. She runs the social media for Kent State's team. So some ties between Kent State and and Lewiston and it was cool to see Beck pay tribute to them. Um, I'm sure if he's just like any of us, that jersey was probably hanging up on the wall behind his bed for him to take that off and, and give it one more victory lap and pay tribute to the wonderful people who probably lost their lives in, in Lewis and Maine it was cool to see. And, and the flashes ended up getting the win in a four, one decision against Mercyhurst. Shifting gears to some non-club hockey news, but hockey news, we wanted to extend our our thoughts and prayers to the Johnson family and the Nottingham Panthers. We're keeping them in our thoughts this week. Panthers forward Adam Johnson died following a freak accident that resulted in a fatal neck injury in Saturday night's game against the Sheffield Steelers. Again, not club hockey related, but something that has struck a chord in the hockey community. We get on here and we talk about style and what's cool and cage hang and all that. And I just think it's an unfortunate accident, but I hope that the hockey community learns from this. And I know myself coaching tonight with kids, you know, six, seven, eight years old. I was in awe of the kids that were wearing neck guards tonight. You know, who knows what a neck guard does in that situation for Adam, just a a terrible thing. And I think we as a hockey community should be better about maybe not not chirping. It, it shouldn't be dust if you wear a neck guard or do that kind of thing. And it's not ACHA or AAU college hockey related. It's hockey news. And I think we have the platform to kind of voice that opinion. And I wanted to give a shout out because, you know, I'm thinking in my head, like imagine if Connor Bedard went out there wearing a neck guard, like you don't think they'd fly off the shelves the next day or a guy like Sidney Crosby, like the, the ripple effect that would have. And to see members of the Providence Bruins in the AHL come out on Sunday wearing neck guards, I'm sure that'll become much more popular and and I saw that War Road, TJ Oshie's company, who has patented this, you know, cut resistant game where um, they've sold out of all of their stuff. They, they put out a message today. They don't wish that they were in this. They didn't wish to be in this position where they're sold out of stuff because of a tragedy. It's nice to see that people are, are, are taking that extra step to, to make sure they're being safe out there. And Fitzy, I'm curious, you're in a pro locker room right now. I, I know that pro hockey is a tight knit community because guys are moving different cities. Like, were there any conversations being had in your locker room after this incident guys just they didn't really want to talk about it you kind of feel like it's a uh like a scary thing to to think about 
And then I, I think you get a lot of people that think it's, you know, that can't happen to me kind of mentality. It's funny you talk about going out and buying stuff, cut resistant things. I've always worn like the cut resistant socks and things like that. But I actually just bought some uh, some cut resistance uh, wrist guards today. Not much talk about like the protective side of it, but more so just the more like somber side of it and obviously feeling bad, but not uh, that mentality that, you know what I mean, of like guys that are just like, oh, that's, you know, it's like a, a one in a million thing. And like, you know, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing and I'll be OK kind of mentality, which is that's not the mentality you want for sure. It's terrible, terrible to hear. It's tough because it's like it's almost that realization where it's like that could happen to me. Right. And I think for a lot of people, it is easier to be like, well, I don't think that will like that's a one in a million thing. And yeah, we just want to get on here. And Herm, you've seen it. I wore it a couple times at Cuse, but I have a like a thermal one with a neck and it, it, it is in no way cut resistance. It'd be better than not having anything there at all. But now I'm definitely looking into getting something because, you know, now that I'm playing men's league, like there's no trainer there. Right. Like if something like that happens and I know a lot of guys listen to this and in our level of hockey. Right. Like when th- this happened in a league where there was four trainers right there, we play at a level of hockey where there's sometimes only one trainer or sometimes the ambulance is 20 minutes away. So just want to come out here and, and, you know, make sure that you're doing everything you can to be as safe as possible out there. Don't go change your game, right? Like hockey is a fun game. It's why we play it, but it's also a dangerous game. It's a physical game. We know the risks that we take when we come on the ice. Those little things too, like making sure your helmet's on the right way and, and making sure you're staying protected, whether it's going the extra mile, like Fitzy mentioned and, and getting the, the wrist protection, the neck protection, the, the cut resistant socks, you know, it doesn't hurt to, to go the extra mile there. So we want to keep the Johnson family in our thoughts. And again, the whole Nottingham Panthers hockey community and the pro hockey community who has been affected by this. It was another eventful weekend in the ACHA and AAU college hockey world. We'll start in Delaware, where the Blue Hens took three out of four from Liberty. The Blue Hens skated to a 6-3 win on Friday night. I was surprised looking at this one. No empty net goals. It was tie game with 10 minutes to go, and Delaware pulled ahead, and then they scored too late to make it 6-3. Liberty got the win in a shootout on Saturday. Collins, I'm, I'm curious to know, does this win tell us more about Liberty or more about Hunter Verostic? Because I don't think he appeared in either of these games. He didn't appear in last weekend's games against Maryville, but has he been carrying a lot of the workload for the Flames? I mean, he's he's a stud goalie. I mean, getting to watch him in person at Nationals, his movement, his skating, just his positioning, everything about him is perfect from a from a goaltending perspective. And without Verostek, uh last weekend, it it might have showed, but it also could have been maybe Liberty put up a bit of a stinker because I feel like, and no disrespect to Delaware when I mean this, but when you're a, a highly touted team like Liberty and you're playing, you know, I'm not saying Delaware is bad. Delaware is an incredibly good team and I'm not trying to take the win away from them. When you come into a team that you might not have played in a really long time, you have no clue what to expect. And sometimes you play down and sometimes, you know, maybe the effort and and pace just isn't there. So, I mean, all in all, Delaware put out, and uh, I think we saw maybe some fundamental goaltending issues with Liberty and a lack of depth. We'll get to the rankings in a bit, but Liberty dropped quite a bit. Uh, it wasn't all bad for the Flames this weekend. The Liberty M2 team had a big sweep over UMass. The Minutemen made the trek down to Lynchburg, and they walked away empty-handed. Two wins for the Flames. In other M2 action, Utah State beat their in-state rival Weber State in front of 2,000 fans at Eccles Arena. Huge crowd 
out west. Love seeing that. We had a rivalry game between Ithaca College and Cornell's D2 team. This one went to overtime and ended up with a goal under review. Ithaca got the win with a puck being put into the net after a hip thrust. So congrats to Ithaca on the big rivalry win. Get off the tracks because here come the Boilermakers. The Boilermakers playing spoiler this weekend mizzou went in hot six and oh on the season they were up five to two in the third period on friday night and purdue stormed all the way back to win this one six five in overtime purdue followed up by handing mizzou their first regulation loss on saturday with a seven three victory you mary made some noise this weekend getting a split against uco handing the chos their first loss of the season unlv had a big sweep over arizona wanted to give them a shout out because thursday night They're taking on San Diego State, and it's $2 beer night at City National Arena, so that crowd is going to be electric. Newman spoiled the party for Kutztown this weekend in overtime. It was pink the rink and homecoming for the Golden Bears, but Newman came in and played spoiler and then wanted to give a shout out to Collins, you know, Weiss with a huge weekend. They won the Crab Pot Tournament, defeating Rowan 9-2, Liberty 4-3, and Navy 5-4 in a shootout. Collins, first off, start out with Villanova, but anything else that stands out to you on the weekend? No, not really. I mean, big congrats to Weiss. That was that was a big weekend to get the the three game sweep. Uh, so really proud of them. But pretty good weekend across the board for the league. We did have some breaking news this week, along with the UNC announcement. More breaking news, though. Northwood University and Saginaw Valley State will make the jump to ACHA M1 beginning next season in 2024-2025. Both of these teams compete in ACHA M3 and the highly touted MCHG conference in Michigan. The road to the national tournament goes through Michigan and M3. We all know this. Two of the better teams, Northwood University coming off a year where they didn't play last year. Whole new roster this year. They're making the jump to Division One. Saginaw Valley State, a power in M32, playing in front of packed barns every night. They're making the jump. Rumor is these teams will be joining the Great Lakes Collegiate Hockey League. So we'll keep an eye on that one. But huge for these two programs to get the jump and the nod to M1. Saginaw Valley State coming off a huge comeback win over Central Michigan this weekend. They had a sold out crowd for that game and I think they did the rest of the weekend as well. We have a lot of rankings to talk about here so we want to make sure we cover that. Just before we hit record the ACHA M1 rankings dropped. We have Minot State number one, UCO number two at three, Mary at four and Niagara at five. We're looking at the list right now. Adrian's at six, Iowa State at nine. If you had told me that Iowa State would be in the top 10, I would have told you you were crazy. I don't know if they have the strongest of schedule, but the computer rankings are working in their favor. Another team that made the jump, we have NYU at 17, Lehigh at 23, Utah 21, Oklahoma 24, Ohio dropped to 14, Liberty dropped to 15. Collins, first reactions from seeing these rankings debut. We've seen this movie before. It's a a tale as old as time. The first week of the computer rankings come out and the computer goes haywire. I personally think Ohio at 14 is criminal, especially after going. They were four, three and one last week. They split. Yeah. yeah, they got the win Thursday night in Adrian. They lost at home, which I think honestly hurt them more because they got blown out at home losing 7-3. So I don't know if Ohio should be in the top five because of the spill that they've had. Having them at 14 and Liberty at 15, like Liberty has had a much worse start to the year than they are. And they're basically in the same position. So that's what's surprising to me. That is really surprising. Lehigh at 23 is also very shocking considering the amount of D2 teams they had on their schedule earlier, uh, early in the year. Technically, they're 11 and 2 or 12 and 2 or something like that. That is probably something something to look further into. Iowa State at 9 it just baffles me. Like it just doesn't 
doesn't make sense. They don't have a loss on the year, which maybe plays in their favor because, you know, when you lose to a team, it, it, you can at least have that help, like determine mm-hmm. where you should be in the rankings. They have a sweep over Oregon. They have a win over Illinois. They beat Waldorf two to one last night. Like after seeing that one, I was like, oh, like, you know, maybe this Iowa State team won't be ranked. You know, Waldorf is, is nowhere near the top, but I think being undefeated certainly helps this time of year. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. Just looking at their strength of schedule, I mean, they, they got the win on, over Waldorf. The Illinois game was postponed and they've only played. Yeah, so one, two, three. They've only played four games. They're somehow in the top 10 and that just doesn't doesn't make sense to me uh a weak illinois team and a, a fairly strong oregon team and then waldorf so i'm trying to look right now at who iowa state has coming up that would affect their maryville midland uco waldorf midland that's pretty much up until early january yeah. uh, uco uh, and, and maryville will tell us what we need to know about this Iowa state team. Those would be good. Yeah. Good measuring sticks there. Yeah. Crazy week for the rankings and it it just continues. We'll move to ACHA women's one Liberty of course is number one to start the year. They face off against number three, Adrian in a big matchup this weekend. Midland is undefeated at number two. I've almost played double the amount of games that Liberty has. Liberty's five Oh and one. Midland 12 and 0 to start the year. They, they come in at number two. They actually just completed a seven game road trip over the past two weeks, playing seven games and over two weekends. Undefeated Michigan at number four. They're 6 0 and 0. And Arizona State coming in at number nine. Wanted to give them a shout out. They were 4 and 0 this weekend. They had a home and home with Colorado, and then they traveled up to Colorado State where they got the sweep. So they are the only team in the Western Women's Collegiate Hockey League that is currently ranked. And wanted to make sure that we gave them a shout out. We got some AAU rankings, though, which is always exciting, courtesy of myhockeyrankings.com. We'll start AAU Division One. Binghamton, the defending national champions, is at number one. They're seven and one, which is interesting because they lost to number three ranked St. Bonaventure. You'd think an undefeated Bonaventure at nine and oh with a win against the defending champs, Binghamton would put them in number one, but that's just how my hockey rankings works. Number two, you have Tampa. They're 10, two and two. Got a lot of non AAU games on that schedule. Cornell coming in at number four and Niagara at nine and one at number five. AAU D2, FAU 6-1-1 and on the year. Probably the clear favorite right now in AAU D2. They have the battle at the beach coming up this weekend. High Point, they've had a hot start to the year there at two. Clemson at three. Tennessee at four. Alabama Huntsville at number five. So a lot of college hockey south teams in AAU D2. Mass Maritime is number nine. Embry-Riddle at 10. Moving on to AAU D3. Some notable ones in this one. Niagara Community College, they're off to a 5-1 start. They're at number one. Tennessee at two. Stony Brook at three. UNH at four. And Miami at five. Interesting thing about this one is Florida Southern, who's gotten off to a hot start, they're at seven. And Alabama, 8-0, all the blowout wins in the world. And they are at number nine in AAU D3. So a conversation that we had a couple weeks ago is, is this Alabama team really good or are they just playing really bad teams? And it seems like the rankings are saying that they're playing some really bad teams. So they are at number nine 
and the only undefeated team in the rankings. So very interesting. Collins, I know you saw a tweet about my hockey rankings. I'm curious, like, what are your thoughts on the, the, the first edition of the AAU ranking? For those who don't know, AAU College Hockey uses my hockey rankings. And while this tweet wasn't specifically related to AAU, I think it is a conversation worth having. So Murray Gunty on Twitter said, uh, we need to fix the use of my hockey rankings in youth hockey, emphasizing covering the spread, not winning is the wrong motivator. Using the crack formula like college hockey, the rankings would look very different and teams would go out, would not limit who they play. They would just go win. My hockey rankings puts greater emphasis on blowing out teams rather than wins and strength of schedule, which is kind of fascinating because I believe we, the ACHA uses a similar thing to the crack formula. I think that really does, it, it could explain why Binghamton is number one and the Bonnies aren't even though they're nine and oh and have a win over bingo rankings confuse me computer rankings are weird all rankings are weird every regardless nobody's happy nobody's happy unless you're number one everybody feels like they get slighted in the rankings I think it is interesting to think about though I personally don't think you know focusing on blowing out teams that great of a determinant in figuring out who who the best teams are i almost think you have to like use the blowing out teams at our level because of strength of schedule like because the leagues acha aau are so geographical you know sometimes you might not get to play the best opponents so how do you measure those teams against each other and i think that is where that comes into play. I look at like division one NCAA hockey and there's so much parity at that level. Like they shouldn't take blowouts into consideration. Like it should just be wins. And I think that is kind of what they're talking about with the crack formula. I think at the ACHA, like there's such a difference between the top teams and the bottom teams that you kind of need those blowout scenarios. You need the Adrians to beat those, those lower end teams by a bunch of goals because it just helps out with the rankings. Um, I wish we lived in a world where there was more parity and we didn't have to use these systems. I'm really trying to figure out how Bama is ranked so low because they blew out a lot of teams and that's kind of where my hockey ranking seems to favor. But then you have Binghamton ranked one over not only Tampa, but the Bonnie is a team that they lost to. So again, maybe we'll have some more answers after this week. You mentioned a lot of people this time of year get frustrated by the rankings you want to know who's not frustrated right now? The teams using OptumX Sports. Be sure to sign up using the link in our bio, OptumXSports.com slash sign up slash hockey house pod. The best part is OptumX provides teams the opportunity to build and manage their own website. And the best part is they know club hockey. So be sure to check them out using the link in our bio. And if you're interested in signing up, use our referral link at OptumXSports.com slash sign up slash hockey house pod. You got the team store. You can sell tickets. You can sell merchandise. You can sell jerseys. They have a partnership with Jog. You can sell jerseys straight from their website. You can even make payments, which helps with team dues. So be sure to check them out. OptumX Sports. Without further ado, we'll turn over an interview with Ross and Nat from the Team Stripes podcast. They provide the perspective of officials at the ACHA and AAU college hockey level. Tell some funny stories from their days refing club hockey and some pro tips for you ACHA and AAU college hockey players and coaches on how to deal with officials and some rules explanations. Really good episode. We'll turn it over to the guys from Team Stripes Pod. 
We're pleased to be joined by the Team Stripes podcast host, Florida Referee-in-Chief and Director of Player Safety for College Hockey South, Ross Cromaldi, and Team Stripe co-host and ACHA official, Nathaniel Swanson. Ross, Nat, welcome to the Hockey House Pod. Happy to be here. This is interesting for us because we're normally the ones doing the interviewing, so <laughs> it's fun being the interviewee. <laughs> Easy it's day, way right? way less stressful, right? Less setup. You just uh, show up, flick on the mic. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> At least Nat doesn't have to do any editing on this episode. Yeah, zero editing on my part. So so much easier. Let's start off. Like, what are you guys up to right now? Because I know you're probably both pretty busy. And I, on your show, you guys kind of recap the weekend. But what are the last couple games that you guys did over the weekend? I was fortunate to have a, a light weekend this past weekend. I did Embry Riddle and Middle Tennessee State University, a 11.30 a.m. puck drop in glorious Daytona, Florida, where you guys have been. Unfortunately, it was not the rowdy crowd that was there for the opening night of the Gator game. I think there were more MTSU parents there than Embry-Riddle fans. But 11.30 game, honestly, it was pretty quiet. It ended up being a tie. And the teams were looking at us like, are we doing a shootout? And I'm like, no, no shootout. Our league rules are if it's a tie, it's a tie. Enjoy your drive home, boys. <laughs> so yeah, it was it was a really light weekend for me, which was which was a rarity these days. Nat, what about you? Oh man, so well, I was working the real job this weekend, uh, so I didn't get a whole lot in. I did do. I had Calvin's D one team playing. I'll say they played Oakland, and that's a fun game because Oakland has like ten guys and two goalies, and their goaltender is phenomenal. So the final score was like four to nothing, but the shots were like. 47 to 5. So it's always a fun game. That's up in Grand Rapids. Yeah, 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 yeah. They play. Yeah, so that was good. But uh, other than that, and I worked a youth game, actually. I worked with a guy who's uh, learning how to ref. So other than that, I was I was just busy at the real job, you know, making money, which I'd rather be at the rink for sure. For the, the guys listening in, Nat, you do mostly Western Michigan area games in the ACHA. Ross, you're kind of all over the state of Florida with College Hockey South and, and AAU. And the occasional Gulf Coast game <laughs> down in Fort Myers with ACHA. So Love it. You get a little bit of everything. Yes, sir. Walk us through, Ross, how you got into officiating. Oh, boy. All right. So a funny story. I've actually already told this once today because I taught a level one USA hockey seminar tonight. So when I was 15 years old, I was always at the rink down the street from me here in uh, in Tampa. So the, the rink in Brandon, which is known as uh, TGH Iceplex these days. So I was always there and a couple of the guys were like, hey, you should start refing. You know, you could make 30 bucks a game and this and that. And I was like, OK, cool. So I did it uh, just for some extra money. Um, I'll never forget the first game I ever refereed was actually an adult league game when I was 15, something that we don't do anymore. Most of the time, you got to be at least 18 to work adults. Our scheduler was like, ah, he's mature enough. He'll be fine. So I started off doing adult league. And honestly, I did adult league more than I did youth hockey even before I turned 18. So that's kind of how I started, grinding away, making a little extra money while I was in high school, refing adult league hockey. And now you, you were talking to us beforehand that you grew up in the Syracuse area, right? And that's kind of how you got started in refing. When I was playing Camille's youth hockey to be a team captain or coach, you had to attend a level one seminar. And my parents ended up paying for me to register. They, you didn't have to register, you just had to attend, but they paid for me to register. And at the time, the youth hockey wasn't as prevalent. So you never had, there weren't weekends that you had 
three games, right? You might have a practice and a game or two on a weekend, but it wasn't, the schedule wasn't as big. So there was plenty of time to referee. My friends and I were making 10, 15 bucks cash working mic games when I was 12, 13 years old. So that's kind of how I started. Then I moved down to Virginia uh, and the hockey wasn't quite as competitive as it was in New York. So I said, screw it, I'm going to keep making money rather rather than pay to play. I'm going to make money on the ice and just kind of took off from there. It's so funny, like hearing how everybody gets into it. I did a little bit when I was in high school, and it's funny, Ross. You mentioned refing adult league. One of my first gigs was our men's league shut down, and instead of having four teams, what they did it was like Mystery Alaska style. They would pick new teams every week. Oh, drafts! I love it. The same twenty guys would square off every week, and they'd keep track of points. I was doing it by myself. It was four on four, and there was a two line pass rule. They were going by their own rule book, right? And I was 16 at the time and my high school coaches were playing in the league. So like, it was like having the commissioner on the bench at all times. If like something happened, I would just look over at him and be like, am I, am I doing this right? Like, sure enough, they got rid of the two line pass rule after one season, which was one less headache for me to deal with. It's so cool hearing how everybody gets in the game. And I almost think you guys have like a second layer to that because we as players, you know, we grow up with the dreams of of playing division one college hockey. And then most of us you know, don't get to see the light at the end of that tunnel. And we end up playing in the ACHA or now AAU college hockey. Ross, how did you get into the club hockey scene as an official? Well, a couple of years in, you know, I did a lot of men's league. And then when I was like 18 or 19, I went and did my first youth hockey tournament down in Fort Myers. And I met a group of guys there who all these years later, like our core group is still together. We kind of grew up doing this together. We had one one guy that was kind of the glue of the group. This gentleman, uh, his name's uh, Jimmy Blankenship. Uh, he passed away a couple of years ago. Jimmy was the guy that like took it serious and made us all want to do it. You know, I started working harder. I got in the rule book, learned the rules. And I think I was maybe 19 when I worked my first uh, ACHA game. I want to say it was in, actually, I want to say it was in Daytona or, or either that, it might've been at Rockledge. Either way, I was living in Orlando at the time. And yeah, I got my first couple of college assignments, ACHA D3 back then as a linesman. And that's kind of where I, where I started in uh, club hockey. Were guys giving you a hard time then? Cause I can only imagine what, what I would think if I went on the ice and there was a kid my own age refing the game. Not really. Uh, just going out there and like, when you look the part, as a referee and, and I could grow a little bit of facial hair back then. So like I was at least, I don't know, a little facial hair, maybe a little scruffy, whatever. Like when you go out on the ice and you look the part, your Jersey is clean. Like your, your pants are good. Like you're all, you're squared away. you look like a referee. Um, you kind of earn that instant credibility with that first impression. If you know the rules and guys start to give you crap about it. Hey, how you call the game and what you do on the ice. People are like, Oh, this guy's actually pretty good and knows what he's doing. And when you have that appearance of knowing what you're doing and they have the perception of it, it makes life a lot easier. And so now for you, like, how did you get involved with club hockey? Was it in Virginia when you were down there? I was going up to DC to work youth double A and triple A in Hampton Roads. We had old Dominion University had a team. They generally didn't play at home. So there wasn't a whole lot of of hockey there. But then when Christopher Newport University started up, which I was actually going to at the time. So I I think they started up in 0304. So when I was a junior, sophomore, the first season, uh, actually myself and a couple of the guys, one guy named Rick Peters, the other one named Brett Small, we told the team as they were struggling because they were, they were playing every night at midnight. They'd pack this this little tiny, you know, typical Southern rink that had a few stands, that kind of stuff. I mean, to the point where the fire marshals would always be kicking people out, you know, wanting us to stop the game because there were so many, so many people in. We told the team to help them get started that instead of 
paying the officials, like take that money and put it back into your team. So don't just like save money, but take that couple hundred bucks that you're going to pay us. You know, that's where I first started working. ACHA hockey was actually down there in Southeast Virginia. Uh, and it just kind of continued from there. So were you, you were essentially making a donation to the Christopher Newport hockey team, right? Yeah, absolutely. So that's that's exactly what we were doing, right? So the three of us, we wanted the program to, to carry on, one, because I was a student there, and two, it, it's always fun. So they And they would get University of Richmond, they get Longwood, they've got, you know, there's a lot of good. Um, I don't think that that league still exists, the Blue Ridge Hockey Conference. I think it's been absorbed elsewhere, but they had a, it was always fun to work those games. I mean, then there'd be big parties afterwards. So who didn't want to go, you know, to a, uh, you work a game at 11, 12 o'clock at night, and then two o'clock, you know, in the morning, you're headed off to the parties. So it was always fun. Yeah, I want to say those teams are all probably now playing in the ACCHL, right? In in M2 and in M3 and even a little yep. bit in the AAU there. I'd love to know now. I mean, that kind of sounds like it was yours, but Ross, what was your welcome to the ACHA moment when you were refing some of these Ooh. M3 games down south? Uh, I think the highlight welcome moment was definitely my first year. I know for a fact this game was in Rockledge and I was lining and there was a scrum at the net and me and my partner start flying in and I catch an edge and I go bowling. I must have taken out probably six or seven of the players at the scrum at the net. Just come in, blow a tire. Oh my, it was unreal. I wish I wish we had Live Barn back then because it would have made a, an, an unreal video. But yeah, I, I came in from the blue line, blew an edge, took out six guys, um, just laying there and they're all looking at me like, what just happened? That honestly, I think was one of the funniest or welcome to the working club hockey moments for me. It was it was pretty funny. And that's when you learned how to break up a scrum, right? You just take out as many players. Yeah. I mean, when in doubt, go bowling, knees first, you know, obviously not hands first, knees first and take out as many players as you can. And uh, that's the end of the scrum. There we go. Nat, for you, was was there another you know welcome to club hockey moment when you were officiating down there? This one isn't in Virginia, but the big one that I kind of remember. So I was part of the officiating development program as well, doing junior and you know junior A that kind of stuff. And we also did. This is back when Penn State had a ACHA team. My first kind of that. So yeah, I had the D three stuff. That was all kind of local. Uh, so my first kind of D one ACHA experience was going to Penn State, and there was a football game going on at the same time in State, in State College. There were no hotels available. So we no joke, we're like, well, guys, we either drive like six six hours, work the game, go to the football game, and then go home because I had tickets for us, or we find a place to stay that night. And no joke, we were like staying in people's campers. It was like every man for himself or paratrooping it tonight, guys. And it was awesome. That was a really cool experience because Penn State at the time was, I mean, they were really pushing. They wanted a varsity hockey team. I wish they have now and they have really good attendance. And it was like one of those things where you're like, wow, this is really cool. This, this is in a real rink. This goes beyond, you know, just D three stuff in the home, in the hometown rink to people coming. The game was good. Obviously the, the time after was pretty awesome as well. Were you like talking to the captains during warmups, you know, being like, Hey, any of you guys got like a spare couch that uh, we can crash on tonight? <laughs> yeah. So uh, we were like, Hey, anybody know of any good place to like chill? Yeah. Absolutely. Actually, one guy was like, yeah, my uh, my folks are in town. They brought their camper. And that's no joke. Two of the, the three of us ended up crashing in the, their parents' camper that night. That's unbelievable. And Ross, you, you told me the story. But, you know, speaking of another program that was dominating the club scene for a while and then made the jump to varsity, you got to do a couple of those games in Tucson between U of A and Arizona State. How the heck did you end up out there? Oh, yeah. 
based, the way I ended up out there when I was 19 and like really starting to think, you know, I could make a run at this. I went to, um, this, uh, referee camp up in Guelph, Ontario, um, called the North American school of officiating that was run by about 10 NHL referees. So when I was there, I met this guy named Dave Kornowski, who I'm still friends with to this day. And Dave was the RIC and scheduler for college hockey in Arizona. Me and him became buddies at this camp. I went out uh, that season. I went out, I think I did the, the Thanksgiving tournament out there. And then we got to do some college games. Cool. So that was kind of my like break into working better college hockey than just the men's three down in Florida. The next year... As I, you know, I'm progressing, he's like, all right, you're coming out. We're doing a trip. We're going to go do the youth tournament. We're going to go to NAU and then we're going to hop down to Tucson and we're going to do U of A and ASU the following weekend. So I stayed at this guy's house for a week. It was awesome. Go do the youth tournament, go up to NAU. I've lived at sea level my whole life. I've never skated at 7,000 feet. I was dying, dying. The NAU bench was in stitches. Every time I was like, do you guys have oxygen? Cause I think I'm going to die. <laughs> and mind you, we're in Arizona, like in Fe- in Phoenix, it's like 70, 80 degrees, 90 degrees that time of year. And then up in Flagstaff, it's 30 and it's snowing. So I'm just like mind blown. We go down for U of A and ASU. And this was before I got to referee. I was just lying in those games and it was myself, Dave Kornowski and Tom Bibbs. Corny refed one game, then Bibbs refed the other. And this is when Leo Golombieski was still behind the bench for U of A. I couldn't tell you who the ASU coach was, but it was the guy before their current one powers. And it was just unreal working in front of that many people, 8,000 people. I'd never worked in front of more than probably a thousand at that point. Cause I'd ne- I hadn't gotten a pro hockey yet. And it was just an absolutely amazing experience working at the TCC. One of the funniest things about working at the TCC was the soundtrack was always the same. Every game I went to, you know what song they were going to play at what stoppage, what they were playing at the intermissions. But anywho, doing U of A and ASU was absolutely an unreal experience. And honestly, it set me up for success down the road because I got used to working in front of those big crowds. That's it's funny you mentioned the soundtrack, because when we go not so much with AAU, but definitely with ACHA, when we've gone to the national tournament, you know, it's Mm -hmm. the same intro song. When the second period starts, it's the same intro song. It's the same goal song every time. And by day seven, we're like, we have lived this movie before. Well, the funniest one is they would always play turning Japanese to start the third period. That was that was just always the funniest part of the night. (laughs) And here I thought listening to war at the beginning of I don't know, after how many games did we watch? 40, something like that. Uh, you would get sick of that, but I cannot imagine I how mean, many times like, you had to listen what, to that. At least yeah. a dozen a day. It was a lot of war. I mean, as a Philly guy, I love Rocky, but turning Japanese is something else. <laughs> Absolutely. It was always a fun way to start the third period. Nat, speaking of the, the ACHA tournament, have you had the chance to do any like any regionals, conference tournaments, national tournaments in, in your area? So, no, because I, I moved up here three years ago from North Carolina. I actually took a little bit of a break from the real job being in the military. I didn't have an opportunity really to skate a whole lot of hockey. I lived two and a half hours east of Raleigh. There's just not a whole lot there. The closest team was Wilmington, and there was no youth. I got back up here. I've worked the the kind of the Great Lakes Conference I've worked some of the regional stuff here, but I have not done any of the national championship uh, stuff here. 
which is weird. I mean, we have a ton of, we have a ton of teams up here, right? Like that's one thing that I'm super, we're super lucky uh, in the fact that in Western Michigan, just in Grand Rapids alone, I live in Kalamazoo, so it's an hour north, but just in Grand Rapids alone, you've got 10 schools within an hour, you know, centered around Grand Rapids. So those guys don't know what a bus ride's like. I have not worked in national championships or anything else like that. No. It's funny too, because you're kind of in the heart of M3 territory, right? And where yeah. Ross was, you know, growing up officiating games and everyone jokes like it's always the Michigan teams in, in M3, right? You got Hope, oh, yeah. you got Saginaw. Like, yep. have you been able to officiate some of the, those games? And, and that's pretty high oh. quality hockey when you look at it for being ACHA Division Three. Oh yeah, absolutely. I haven't worked hope yet this year. I worked hope eight times last year, right? So that's always good. We're, we're always giving them crap that like, hey, when are you guys going to move up to D1 or they're really good and they pull a good crowd, especially, you know, Davenport's up here too. Davenport's really good. You know, Calvin's got a one and a three team. Western Michigan, one team is looking good this year. Michigan State's not, I don't know, they've never real, don't have a real big powerhouse, but uh, you know, then you got like Aquinas, you got Lake Superior, the list goes on, right? So we are really, really fortunate to work national caliber teams, especially, you know, the D3 level here in Western Michigan. Don't have to travel a whole lot, which is, again, it's awesome. Ross, I want to give you the opportunity to, to tell this story, but we, we talk about all the time, like the club hockey scene is growing every yep. year. There's new teams, there's new schools. One team that, you know, we haven't seen a lot of, and I think they're trying to make a return is LSU. We had a clip a couple months ago that was like F it LSU highlights. And it's from like 2008 and like the kids can't really skate, but they're wearing the purple and gold. And one of those teams that, you know, had a really big following, but isn't around anymore. Mississippi state, you actually yep. had the opportunity to do some of those games and oh, man. pretty similar to tucson right like thousands of people watching the college hockey game oh i got i got stories lsu and michigan uh so when i was in the air force fortunately and unfortunately like it was kind of a 50 50 thing i got stationed in columbus mississippi middle of nowhere but legitimately it is an hour from tuscaloosa and an hour from stark vegas on any given Saturday, I could go to an Alabama game. I could go to a Mississippi State game. I could drive an hour and a half up to Ole Miss. The SECHC at the time, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, LSU, a couple of, you know, all those teams. And uh, yeah, so LSU, Mississippi State, I'll never forget this. Final score was 17-16. It was a three and a half hour hockey game. We heard the, the Mississippi State fight song 17 times that night. And LSU scored 16 goals. We didn't go more than two, three minutes during the game without somebody scoring. I think RC Martin, who is the captain of the, at the time for Mississippi state scored God, he must've scored 10 that night. Cause he had played for the little flyers. Like he played decent hockey. So he was just way better than everybody else. And I, I swear he scored at least 10. One of the other funny parts about that was the head coach that season was he had played for the Tupelo T-Rex, which was the team that used to play in Tupelo, uh, the birthplace of Elvis Presley. Um, so he was a sheriff or one of the deputies, and the guy was just unreal, out of control. Like, we'd have fights every game. Um, they were always on probation, that Mississippi State team. But yeah, we'd have, oh my God, two, three, four thousand people, depending on which SEC school they were playing. Like, I know LSU, we probably had 2,500 at least people there. And then I've told you this story about uh, Ole Miss. First night we get done or we get out there, right? The place is packed. For a D3 club game in Mississippi, I'm, I'm blown away. So there's probably 4,000 people there or, or 3,500, 4,000. Coach comes in after the game. He's like, hey, I'll pay you guys tomorrow. Okay. Is it, he goes, same crew, right? Yeah, same crew. So it's me, 
Mike Sislega. Oh my God, he's going to kill me for forgetting his name. I'll think of it. Anywho, so we're doing both games. So second game ends. I think they split. I don't really remember. I got a bunch of pictures of it. Really cool. Like side note to that weekend, um, my base in Mississippi, our base PA guy came to both games and like took a bunch of pictures and like actually wrote a story about me being an airman in the Air Force and refereeing hockey. So that was pretty cool. Um, but after the second game, coach comes in. He's like, hey, uh, thanks for all the help this weekend. Um, you know, we had a we had a record gate. I think we had, you know, 7,000 total people for the weekend. And then he pulls out this cash box that's got, I couldn't tell you how much money. He's like, yeah, we paid for this season and next season this weekend. Or he gives all three of us like six, $800 each for working two games. Like, okay. <laughs> it was absolutely unreal. Fights both nights. They're, the crowds were crazy. Like who'd have thought Mississippi and Ole Miss, Mississippi State and Ole Miss playing each other in a hockey game. And it was just wild. Nat, I'm guessing you're not getting $600 cash after refing a Davenport game, right? <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Like you got to go to Grand Valley where the where the Amway kids went to get that kind of money, right? Ross, you mentioned lots of fights. I think that is something that when people look at like, oh, club hockey being a joke, like they'll look at like yeah. the kids who can't skate are fighting each other in front of 2,000 people in Tupelo, right? And your current role with College Hockey South, and I was listening to one of your latest episodes with Team Stripes, you, a big emphasis at the club level is, you know, scrums. You know, how can you yep. deter scrums? That seems to be where games get out of hand. What is College Hockey South doing to prevent stuff like that? So what I've been telling our referees is something that one of our supervisors in the ECHL tells our other uh, referees there. So I've uh, been a pro hockey linesman. This season is year 14. Um, which is unbelievable to think about for me. So basically what we do is we give them one. First scrum of the game, cool. But after that first one, we're going to both benches and say, here's the deal. Next scrum that happens, we're taking a guy and you might not like who it is. I'm just going to pick somebody. It might not even be a guy involved in the scrum, but if we have a scrum, someone's going to the box. So that that's what we do. The next scrum that happens, you get a guy. That's it for the night. There ain't no more scrums. And most of the time, just that warning cuts it out. I don't believe in the, you know, marching them two by two to the penalty box. It's not Noah's Ark. We don't need to be playing four on four. So what you do is you take the guy that starts it or you take the guy that was the most aggressive in the scrum. You put him in the box. Hey, I, I already warned you. And the best part is, is when you tell both benches, hey, I'm going to call a guy and you might not like who it is. That's your shot across the bow to them. But then you have to go and do it. And our guys are doing a really good job this year of enforcing it. And we haven't had too many. I mean, it happens. That's obviously. really good to hear from officials perspective, because as a player, we're, we always just assume, oh, like any scrum, they're going to take two. It's just going to be four on four if the scrum gets out of hand. Yeah, no, we, we don't do that. So like we're telling our guys we need a differential. There's no point in sending both guys to the box. Like what do you accomplish as a referee? Nothing. There needs to be a punishment. A team needs to go shorthanded and a team needs to get a power play. And I think that's important. Like that's when you start getting into the game management stuff, right? That you, you see from referees at the college club level that that is different from, you know, the youth levels and that kind of stuff where you're not necessarily just punishing infraction, right? You're, you're trying to manage the game and, and direct it in the way that you want it to go. Nobody wants a scrum. We don't see a whole lot of scrums up, you know, up here. The game's a little bit, it's played a little bit differently up here, especially at the D3 level, because a lot of the D3, I mean, even the D3 guys, are, they're coming from not just your local players, right? They're coming from all over Michigan, Southern Canada, that kind of stuff. So the skill level is good and it's there. It's still part of that like hey we need to manage this stuff out of here so how can we convince folks 
this is not the way you want to play the game. That's the tool in the toolbox. And we do the same thing up here with our, you know, with our stuff. Yeah. And to kind of transition off of that, with all kind of the stuff that is happening between plays, what are your guys' thoughts on three-man crews at this level? Does it make sense? Or do you feel like it's kind of a lose-lose situation for everybody okay. on the ice? So the ECHL, we still work three men. Each team does get eight games, nine games a year uh, that are four. But for the most part, it's three men. Uh, one referee, two linesmen. Um, I know up in Michigan, Nat, you guys do some three-man, some four-man, right? So we do all women's games, three-man, one ref, two lines, and then all men's games are uh, two ref, two lines okay. up here. So in the three-man system, yes, the game has gotten faster, and it is nice having that fourth referee. If you're going one referee, two linesman, that's where the linesmen have to step up and do their job. I know in three-man games, as a linesman, I'm skating the line change. Like, if I'm not the guy dropping the puck, I'm skating the line change, I'm getting between the players a managing personalities when we're on the benches i'll talk to the bench i'll say hey guys what's going on that kind of stuff kind of learn what you got out there appropriately help the referee by putting out fires that he doesn't even know he has so if you have linesmen that are being proactive the three-man system is still effective now are we seeing a lot more games going three-man but two referees and a linesman absolutely terrible that system. is an awful system to work as a referee. All three guys are kind of splitting duties. It does get confusing. You are going to miss some line calls. There are offsides is going to get missed every once in a while. It does help with the stuff behind the play because obviously now we got a, a we got one referee skating backwards with the play coming at him, and then the back referee coming up the ice like they would in a four man. And the linesman essentially playing monkey in the middle, initiating icing, calling offsides. But then it gets tricky. Like if you have a scrum. What do you do? Well, as a crew, we're going to be in the locker room saying, okay, if we're in my end zone and I'm the low guy and there's a scrum at the net, back referee, you're now the line, the back linesman and you guys are going to both come in and I'll deal with handling the penalties and you guys break it up. There's a communication aspect on the referee side of figuring out what rules are what in the two referee, one man or two referee, one linesman system. The one and two can still be effective as long as all three guys are working together as a cohesive unit. I mean, they still do the USHL. There's still a lot of USHL games, three man. The North American Hockey League is three man. And yeah. a lot of guys that play, you know, D1 club level, if they're not if they're not making a or if they're playing North American League and they don't make second, third, maybe a fourth line NA guy, they might not be going to NCAA hockey. They might go to club hockey. You know, it's effective there. I'm sorry for the long winded answer, but if if the three guys are working as a crew, um, the three man system is still effective. One thing to add on that, too, is that you really learn a lot as a referee when you are the only referee on the ice. You learn how to manage the game really well. And I think you can tell the referees that have never skated a three man game where they're just the referee and now they're into a four man because they're very they can be very timid and they they kind of just deflect to what their partner's calling. They're not nearly as kind of effective as a manager of the game as a leader of a crew. So I think that's something that unfortunately it's a dying art working in game three man. We've gone to four man here. Now when the officiating development program was still doing all the M1 stuff, you saw the three man. And those kids can skate, right? I say kids because I'm 41 years old, so everyone's a kid to me now. Oh, but, they're kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But those they can skate, right? So those referees, as long as they can skate and, and be in the play, that's great. As the ACHA has kind of regionalized, right, the ODP, there's not a national officiating staff for the ACHA, so you have to 
kind of regionalize. You're going to get older officials who, to be honest with you, yeah, I could skate uh, up the middle. I would be dying by the third period, right? And, there, and there's techniques that, that a good linesman will have to cover for the referee and the referee knows, hey, this is what I got to look for. You're going to need someone who's a lot more experienced. Uh, in that case, probably the four-man's just going to be a lot better option. Yeah. I'm curious what you guys think about this because as players, we're always trying to do things to improve club hockey, right? Like everybody yep. loves and club hockey is college hockey. I know just as well as you guys know that if I go to a random rink on a Friday night where one team only has nine guys and they have mismatching jerseys that not all club hockey is college hockey, but we do our best to make it look the part. Are there things that you guys are doing as officials to also help legitimize this level of hockey? Yeah. So with College Hockey South, Kyle and I at Nationals discussed some things. And one of the things that came up was uh, a player safety role. Myself, a couple other guys interviewed. So he ended up taking on myself, uh, Ryan Bray and Tyler Totten. All three of us have refereed for quite a long time. So what we do every week or every other week, depending on what kind of shenanigans that we have in our games, I put together videos that get sent out to all our referees. Uh, at the beginning of the year, we had a preseason Zoom call. We talked through the rule book, um, expectations, go over things for College Hockey South, our procedures and all that. And then during the you know my, my weekly stuff, we send out all the majors. So any major penalty gets clipped and sent so that everybody knows, hey, this is what a major penalty looks like. Any game misconducts, any DQs, and any corrections on rules. Earlier in the year, we had a couple of fights called. One was when Embry-Riddle was up in New York at, at Lake Placid. And then one was um, one of our games in Huntsville. Guys were given DQs for fighting. We watched the video. I'm like, that's not a DQ for fighting. That's a minor for roughing and 10 for continuing. So we are trying to educate our referees and we have about 100 and 150, 160 on our distro list that get the video every every week. And we're just trying to make everybody better. We're fortunate enough in, in our area, like I can put on a, a, like a FGCU game down in Fort Myers. I can put a crew with all three guys work for either the ECHL or the Southern Pro League. So I can put a whole pro crew on that ice. You also have crews across the whole footprint of club college hockey where that's maybe the best hockey they're working and we're doing the best that we can to educate and make everybody better. I'm glad you brought up that point because I want to throw it over to Nat for this next one. I know there's always a lot of questions on like what is getting kicked out? What is a 10 minute misconduct? What is a DQ and what gets a suspension? So Nat, I'll let you kind of answer that one and then we can go back to Ross kind of get how AAU handles it. But what on the ACHA side of things, you know, what is the, the difference there? I mean, the first thing, you know, for a fight, like you're looking for punch Right. So that's something that I think that a lot of folks don't understand. And they'll, they'll call a fight when guys are just grappling. What are you looking at when you're, we're talking about, hey, what's the difference between a two and a 10 or a four and 10 uh, and a five versus a five in a game versus five in a DQ? Some people will say, well, it's where it happens in a game, right? Like there's no point in giving a 10 minute misconduct with two minutes left, right? And I think that that's absolutely wrong. Really, what you're looking at is, are guys continuing? Are they listening to you? Are they stopping, right? If not, okay, cool. Hey, guys, here's a 10, you know, and you just leave it. As far as major penalties where you're looking at, okay, hey, what's the difference between five, five in a game, five in a DQ? So you're really looking for kind of what I want to say, like intent. Does a player take liberties? So first one, like, hey, what's a standalone five? The player receiving on the receiving end, did they do something that caused that to be a little bit worse than than what it was? Did they duck? The one that I like to that I like to describe to folks is, hey, as someone's going in for a head contact, what does a standalone major for head contact look like? Well, hey, did the player duck? Did he change his position? Did he do something that player wasn't intending to hit him in the head? It just happened that way. 
that's where you need the standalone five. That five in the game is the, okay, now you're being reckless. Now you're being, I want to hit that guy in the head. You're not necessarily not super flagrant, but that's where you're like, hey, okay, here's the here's the game. The five in the game comes when it's like, yep, you definitely took the liberty to smoke that guy in the head. And in that case, you're going to get the five and you're going to sit out for this game. And then as far as a DQ, a DQ is one of those things where like everyone in the building looks and just goes, holy crap. You guys have seen that where you're on the bench, even when your own players have done that throughout your careers, you're like, Wow, that was insane. Now, I will say that there are some leagues out there that are, and Ross, you can talk about college hockey south with this, but there are some leagues out there, their officiating staff is is telling their, their leadership is saying, hey, we don't want you to necessarily call a DQ on the ice because we have good video replay. So we want you to call five in a game and then just give us a call afterwards and say, hey, please look at this. And they can do supplemental discipline from there. That's not with every conference, but that's something that, that exists out there as well. So sometimes when those, you may get those lines blurred where it's like, well, I don't understand why is this a five and a DQ here, but it was just a five in a game there. That may cause for some of that. Again, we don't have a national officiating staff at the ACHA. So trying to get everybody on the same page when you're trying to get, as Ross said, guys who played pro hockey who are who are officiating ACHA with us. But you got everything from guys who played pro levels, who refereed pro levels to folks who like, this is the best hockey that they have the opportunity to work. And that's not that they're bad officials, right? By any means. And ACHA D1 is... And even D3, in a lot of places is great hockey, but that's something that's also like, hey, you know, as we try to get all these officials on the same page, they're not bad officials. It's just really difficult when you're talking about thousands of folks over all 50 states, you know. Ross, is that is that pretty on par with what you guys are doing in terms of, of DQs? Is that because of the, yeah. the video aspect of today's game? So for us on the AAU side, like I don't tell my guys, hey, only call a game and then send it to us. The way we look at it and the way I like to explain the rules. So for the major only, and I'll just go straight from the rule book here. A standalone major is a hockey play gone wrong. It says in the rule book, major only consideration, whether the opponent put themselves in a vulnerable position by assuming a posture that made, in this example, head contact on an otherwise full body check unavoidable, whether the opponent materially changed their body or head position immediately prior to or simultaneously with the hit in a significant way that contributed to head contact. Player A is trying to hit player B. Player B maybe put themselves in a vulnerable position. Player A is trying to make a legal body check, but still hits him in the head. So that's where, we're okay, major penalty. You weren't trying to hurt him. No big deal. You sit for five. You get to stay in the game. A major in a game is a direct head contact. You know you're going to hit the guy in the head, but you're still trying to make a legitimate hockey play. It can even be accidental and you still get the major in a game based on the severity of the infraction to a player that makes direct contact to the head. So if it's severe enough, you can go at the game. Now, the DQ, I would equivalent make equivalent to a match penalty in USA Hockey. Obviously, there's no 30-day suspension that comes along with it or whatever. It's a one-game suspension. And then your league is probably going to look at it if you get a DQ. We had one over the weekend. Number 26 from the visiting team chased down a player from the home team and delivered a cross-check to the back of the neck of the opposing player and drove him into the boards from behind. An injury occurred on the play. That is the game note from the referee. They assessed a DQ. The guy's intent was to cross-check that guy in the back of the head and try to hurt him. If I'm on the ice and I say, holy shit, that's a penalty, and my arm goes in the air, it's a DQ. And the only thing that's going to make it not a DQ is if one of the other three guys I'm on the ice with or the other two guys I'm on the ice with says, hey, uh, maybe we should go game there instead of DQ. But if my reaction is, holy shit, that's a penalty, and my arm goes in the air, 
that you're absolutely going to need a DQ for me or any of the other guys that work for us. That kind of leads me to my next point. And it's a conversation that we've had on our podcast a lot. We talked about it this weekend. Like I was looking for games to watch and I'm like, how is this M1 game not being streamed right now? Right? Like every rink in the country now has live barn, but I think we have these expectations, especially, you know, AAU division one, ACHA division one, that these high profile teams should have streams for their games. I'm curious for you guys, do you think this new age of all these games being streamed benefits you guys? I'm sure you've had your fair share of live barn clips sent to you where you got a a coach being like, hey, this was offsides at the 12 minute mark of the second period. And they think they're the Toronto control room from a perspective of officiating. Like what is the live barn and the technology advancements done for you guys? When I was coming up, I would have killed for live barn. We used to get game tapes of the game afterwards and either they'd be burned on a CD or you get like a VHS <laughs> or like a VHS C. No joke, you had to find an adapter to watch your games. For me, just being able to do things like, hey, I wasn't sure about that call. I mean, going back into live barn and watching it, at least playing it and go, eh, okay, maybe I was wrong there. I confirm what I saw and what I called on the ice. I think it, it's a great help. I also think it's helpful because coaches or players can go back and watch it and they can do the same thing. They can be like, oh, maybe it wasn't offsides or maybe it was offsides. And I think it's good for supplemental discipline, that kind of stuff. I don't think that it should be necessarily used, even the live streaming stuff for like video replay. I think that's kind of where the line gets drawn, you know, real time because Ross and I are on a weekly call with other officials and we talk frequently on that on a Monday night quarterback call about what to do with video replay and how it has changed officiating in the game. And it's, we're just not ready for that, at least at, at this level. But I love, you know, I do love the streaming. I love the fact that, you know, Western Michigan live streams all of their games on YouTube. Grand Valley does as well. It's super easy to find a good quality video. And I, I love it that, you know, I think it's a, it's definitely value added. What about you, Ross? So for me, okay. It adds a lot. I love it. It, It's great having every game. College Hockey South, it is a requirement. Whether you're D1, D2, D3, women's, it is a requirement that all games are recorded. Now, whether it's Live Barn or DSPN for UCF or the two or three cameras that Riddle uses, you know, as, as long as it's recorded, we're good. Some teams do it better than others. No big deal. And it's good for both ways. So like for us, it's great because I get to go in and tomorrow I will be sitting at my desk at work clipping games. I, I open up every score sheet from the weekend and I just go game by game searching YouTube, Black Dog, Live Barn or whatever else to get it. I get our clips. Awesome. Send out the video. We also have the advantage of with our Department of Player Safety that if a coach feels like, hey, I don't think this should be a DQ. Will you guys look at it? We'll go in and look at it and we'll either tell them to pound stand. Hey, sorry, that's a DQ or a game misconduct. And in our league, we have a rule that if you get a 10 minute misconduct for abusive official or a major penalty in game misconduct with less than five minutes left in the game, you're automatically sitting out the next one. But the 10 has to be for abusive official or a major in a game penalty, which that major in a game basically becomes a DQ. The coaches can send us clips and say, hey, was this a fight? Was this this? Like we had a DQ spear that got sent to us, which we watched. I think we had two camera angles on it and it was a slash. Now the guys on the ice, the one guy that saw it was adamant that it was a spear. And when we went, we had the luxury of watching it. He said, you know what? We're going to rescind the game. We'll drop it to a major for stats. And he gets to play the next one. It works both ways. We're not just, you know, hitting these players with suspensions left and right. We're not going out looking for supplemental discipline. It also helps the players say, hey, you know what? Maybe that wasn't what it was. 
So I like it. I think it's a great tool. In a few years, I'm sure we'll probably have an iPad on every bench in D1 to be able to review majors. I I would yeah. love that. As the technology gets cheaper, we're getting there because like obviously the NHL had it, then the American League had it. Now the ECHL, we have it in every building for them. The Southern Pro League is messing with it this year. The plan at AAU Nationals last year was discussed to have video replay access for goals at Nationals this year. I know, didn't ACHA have it at Nationals for them? Video replay on yeah. goals. Just M1, yeah. Hey, as the technology gets cheaper, why not use it? Now, on the same side of that, as a referee, I tell my guys, we're calling it the way we see it. Don't rely on replay, which we don't have replay. We got four sets of eyes on the ice. Call it as you see it. Trust what you see. It's interesting that you mentioned, right, so for just for nationals, for M1. So one of the things that is frustrating for an official is to not do something for an entire season and then suddenly get to a final tournament and be like, I don't know how to do this. And I'm expected to, A, know exactly how to do it perfectly every single time, right? So when you guys see that or you see some officials and it takes a long time, it's probably because those guys, unless they're working some of those other leagues, just haven't done that before, right? So they're like, uh, how do I do this? It's just going to be par for the course. It's, and that's going to be like that for every single league out there, not just ACHA. The first thing that comes to mind is Little League World Series, right? Like those guys are umping games all year long where there's not 18 ESPN cameras there. Yep. Right. <laughs> When I was at the Advanced Officiating Symposium for USA Hockey, one of the things that sticks out in my head was something that Chris Rooney, actually the most accomplished of the Americans that have refereed in the NHL. One of the things that sticks out to me that I said was trust what you see and go from there. I want to close with a question for each of you. And, and again, we great to get your perspective of things on from a player's perspective. What is one thing that a player could do to help make your job easier when they show up to the rink? I got a perfect one, right? So just talk with us. We're out there to have fun just like you guys are, right? To skate hard. We want to make every call, right? We want to make every every game perfect. We want to get a good skate in. We want to sweat. We want the game to be close. And I think that that's just, hey, you know, having the, when we come up and talk with you, just talk, shoot the shit and, and kind of like, hey guys, how's it going? develop that relationship. Ultimately, that's what we're all out there for. And that's something that I think that if we're all having fun, we can disagree all day long, you know, and that's fine because when the puck drops, you, we both have other things on our mind already. That's kind of just the one thing, right? Is that we're not out there to screw anybody. We're out there to have fun, skate, you know, and we couldn't do it without the players. So I would not be on the ice if it weren't for hockey players, right? Wouldn't happen. So that's kind of my, my two cents. Ross is getting a book out from underneath his bed with a hundred <laughs> things. So right. first plug I'm going to make for the players out there. If you go on the NCAA publications website, it is ncaapublications.com. You can find the current NCAA rulebook. For the most part, AAU and ACHA follow it to a T. Learn that you're not playing under USA Hockey rules. I couldn't tell you how many times in the last few years I've argued with players about that they're not allowed to hand pass in the D zone and they yell at me that they can and I say, no, we play NCAA rules. And they look at me like I have three heads. That's number one, whether it be you you listening or even if your coach downloads the rule book learning the rules is number one because like we're all in this together right like we want to be out there giving you the best game we got you guys want the best game we have from us so learn the rules please <laughs> and then just know that the guys that are working your games they're all trying hard you might be lucky enough to have a crew where all three or all four guys work ncaa hockey you might have a crew with all guys that have worked pro hockey in the past or you might have a crew of three or four guys maybe that the whole crew the best hockey they've ever worked is club hockey 
But at the end of the day, they're out there trying hard. Yeah. Are they going to mess up? Yeah, we all do. I still do. Like Nat does. All of us do. Even even at pro hockey, even at D1 NCAA, we all still mess up. Know what we are out there giving it our all and we are trying hard. We appreciate that. We appreciate you guys coming on. I want to turn it over to you because if they didn't get enough ref talk in the 45 minutes that you guys joined us, where can they listen to you guys talk weekly? So we are on every major platform. So uh, we post to SoundCloud and then somehow through Wizardry and Magic, it goes to Spotify, Google, Apple, and some others. Pretty much anywhere you can find a podcast. We are the Team Stripes podcast. We try to post at least twice a month. We bring on referees and we tell their stories. Every referee has a different path that they've taken to get to where they've gotten. Uh, Last week, we had on a gentleman out of Boston named Mark Riley, who's an absolute beauty. He skated in the USHL. He was refereeing games and Chris Rooney, who's an NHL referee now, was his linesman. These are the kind of guys that we have on um, and we tell stories and BS and talk about different things with officiating. Uh, With Mark, we talked communication. We had on Kendall Hanley, who runs the North American Hockey League. We talked linesmaning with her, how to be a good linesman. Or the episode prior to that, Nat and I talked just how to be a referee, the criteria of a penalty, that kind of stuff. So all things officiating uh, education is the Team Stripes podcast. Awesome. Well, hey, Ross, Nat, thanks again. Uh, Wish you guys the best of luck the rest of the way in whatever games you guys are doing and uh, hope to see you guys down the road. Yeah, I have a battle at the beach this weekend. We got four teams coming into Wesley Chapel, FAU, UT, USF, and UCF. Uh, the teams are bringing their beach themed jerseys and we as referees decided to play along too. We have lifeguard themed referee jerseys that we will be wearing for the weekend. They are pretty sweet. I cannot wait to see those in action. Neither can I. (laughs) Once again, thank you to Nat and Ross for joining the show this week. Be sure to check their podcast out, the Team Stripes podcast. Plenty of burgers this week. We start with an upstate New York matchup between Union and Skidmore. Union defeating Skidmore 10-2 on the same day Skidmore revealed their new jerseys. Might be time to, to toss those jerseys in the garbage after getting burgered on that one. We head down south in ACHA M2 action, Florida Gulf Coast beating Bowling Green 13 to one Bowling Green catching a case of the beach blues losing to Florida Gulf Coast on the road in an M2 action the biggest burger of them all Grand Canyon the boys at GCU taking care of Park University Gilbert 19 to nothing we've seen Park Gilbert play a couple of M3 teams and they haven't done so hot no surprise here that they took on GCU and they lost 19 nothing the shots on goal on this one were crazy it was like something like 89 to like five or something like that. It was wild when I saw that scoreboard. Got some exciting games to watch this week. We head to Oswego again Friday night. The Lakers taking on the other Lakers, Mercyhurst University and some M1 action. This will be a midnight game. The Laker Wheel Rivalry Trophy Alumni Weekend. Another big weekend in Oswego. In AAU action, we have Georgia Tech taking on Georgia at the Gas South Arena. This game is being played at the home of the Atlanta Gladiators. A lot of talk about hockey in Atlanta this week from Spit and Chicklets. We'll see if Atlanta can prove it, prove how much they love college hockey when GT and UGA get together on Sunday. Friday night, we have Pitt taking on Simon Frazier. Simon Frazier is a BCIHL team from Canada. They play a variety of different teams. They played Michigan earlier this year. They're playing some ACHA exhibitions. We'll see how Pitt 
does against them this weekend. They are actually Simon Frazier is in town to play Robert Morris after they take on the Panthers on Friday night. Sioux College is going to go head to head with Niagara on Friday night. Sioux, the reigning women's two champ taking on women's one Niagara Friday night. We also have an M three action, the university of New Mexico taking on the world junior U 20 team for Mexico at the outpost. This will be an exciting matchup. We'll get some uh, international exhibitions going between the ACHA and the double IHF Friday night. We also have Bama taking on U Tampa in an ACHA versus AAU matchup. A lot of questions. How does Bama's AAU team compare to their M one ACHA team? We'll find out this year because because Tampa took two of three against Bama's AAU team. We'll see how they face against Alabama's ACHA team. Friday night, we have Minot State taking on Jamestown at the Pepsi rink at Mesa Arena, a good old-fashioned North Dakota college hockey rivalry. And then in women's action on Saturday, Midland taking on McKendry at Seidner Arena. A little Marlboro rematch where we saw Midland win 4-1. And then wrapping it up Friday, AAU action, Clemson taking on South Carolina. Clemson off to a good start this season. We'll see how they do against AAU Division I and rival South Carolina. Honorable mention this weekend, we have Adrian taking on Liberty. We already talked about this matchup in Women's Division One. We got Weber State taking on Montana State. Montana State's still undefeated. They are rolling right now. Weber State looking for some revenge here. More M2 action. Miami taking on Michigan. In M3, we have Saginaw taking on Cleary. Cleary has struggled in ACHA M1. Saginaw just broke the news that they're going Division I ACHA, so we'll see how they fare against a future opponent. In Women's 2, BC taking on UVM. In M3, Hope College taking on Oakland. Friday night, more M3 action. Air Force, they will host Dartmouth College. This weekend, we have the Battle of the Beach FAU taking on Tampa's D2 team Friday night in Tampa. And then we have South Florida taking on Central Florida in a battle between USF and UCF. The winners will advance to play each other and the losers will play each other on Saturday. Again, they will be wearing the beach-themed uniforms. So looking forward to some exciting hockey. Collins, any matchups that stand out to you before we head to the game of the week? Clemson, USC is always one to to keep an eye on. Always get a good clip from that game. And then also Sioux versus uh, Niagara. That will be interesting to see how the Sioux stand compared to the Perps and uh, the rest of W1. So I'm really, really interested to see how that goes. And maybe Sioux might be looking at dipping their toes in the water to maybe eventually make their way up to uh, to w1 so great slate of games this week also georgia tech georgia i mean with all the rumors now that we're hearing that atlanta might be looking at getting a team for the third time you know it's very fitting for the moment that we have a a great college football college general southern college rivalry this weekend that brings us to our game of the week we will be in person in athens ohio at bird arena it's herm versus myself and tim Syracuse versus Ohio, David Herman's homecoming. The Hockey House pod is on site. We're going to throw it over to Herm himself for the first pick of the week. We're going with the Bob Dogs by seven. Wow. Wow. Right right out of the gate. I actually don't even know who to throw. Collins, who do you got? Because you were giving Herm a hard time earlier. Who, who are you going with? For the sake of my record, which has not been hot because Herm won't let me backlog my picks, I'm rolling with the Bobcats. I'm still very bitter that when Herm, his team's playing against Murph's team, it's a game of the week. But when my team is playing against Murph, it's not a game of the week because, oh, nobody cares about Villanova. Everybody cares about Ohio. Who cares? It's a personal matchup. I don't know. I'm bitter. Go Bob Dogs. There's some beef there. 
Collins, I'm curious. Who do we remember? Who the game of the week was that week? I do. Give me a second, like, and I will pull it up on the spreadsheet. South Carolina versus Clemson. It's fair, but what do we? What else do we got going on this week? We can't go to a campus and not be the game of the week, and that's that's my fault because we should have worn the camos against you guys and done an all camo Veterans Day matchup. Maybe that would have boosted up the points to be <laughs> a, a game of the week. Yeah, no, that that was a good game though. It was three one, two one, final score. We're getting off the rails here, Fitzy. Look back to Athens, Ohio. It's Cuse, Ohio. Who you got? Collins was joking earlier, saying it's like we got to pick between Murph and Tim or Herm. It's a tough one, but I, I think in, unless number seven Mackenzie Murphy is uh, going to be lining up on the blue line this weekend, I'm I'm going to have to go with the Bobcats. Unfortunately, nothing, nothing, nothing personal at all. My record is. Like Colin said, my record's getting down down in the gully too, so I'm going with the Bobcats. Well, that just enlightens my day because my record is also in the gully, and the only way to make traction is having all of you pick the Bobcats because I'm riding with the Qs. They got a young team going into Athens, Ohio. They actually they really have no idea what to expect. We'll probably get AJ Finta rocking a net Friday night. He owns the state of Ohio. He's got wins against Kent State and John Carroll. Very prominent programs in ohio the governor is what i've been calling him i i have all my faith in finta if he doesn't get the start you know whoever isn't going in net i love it i'm riding with the cues tim and i are in the house i went to alumni weekend i love the new guys love the freshmen love the the transfers the rookies they got a great squad i can't wait to watch them play they're gonna have a ton of fun playing at bird and it's gonna be a great hockey game and i'm riding with the orange i will say if cuse wins i will be over the moon ecstatic they'll I let just... me drive the zamboni down church street if cuse wins court street court street sorry but yeah i just want to wipe that shit eating grin off of herm's face so bad i want to see him in tears after this game if we weren't going to athens this is definitely where we would have gone but we do have the battle of the beach tampa fau ucf and usf all getting together in Tampa at the Clearwater Ice Arena. The teams are rocking beach-themed jerseys. I want to know, guys, question of the week, who has the best-themed jersey at this year's edition of the Battle of the Beach? Collins, I'll throw it back over to you while you got the hot mic going. It's. I think it's. there's a clear answer. It's Tampa. That is one of the, the best jerseys from the 90s in the NHL, and the reverse retro is awesome. I was a little bummed to see FAU is not coming up with anything new they'll they'll keep partying in in hawaiian shirts it's not a bad jersey i just would like to have seen something new i think ucf was a close second for me usf was was third for me but um great jerseys all around i really dig the black and gold of uh, ucf u tampa knocked it out of the park fitzy what about you you probably weren't wearing any beach themed jerseys back in your acha days huh I was not. There's an Indiana grad who's doing his graduate degree at USF, Adam Offenbach. Shout out to him. Those are the jerseys I'm going with. I like them a lot. It's, it's got everything going for me. We got the, the good laces up at the top around the neck. Like I, I get what Collins is saying with like the Hawaiian shirt, but I think that USF pulls it off well with the palm trees that they got going with the uh, trim at the bottom. I, I think it pairs well with the gloves too. They uh, they took that into account. So I uh, I like the USF ones. The USF one, now that I'm thinking about it, the stripe. Herm, you remember that video the Tampa Bay Lightning put out about, about like the fake third jersey 
and had the palm trees on the stripe. That, that kind of reminds me what they're doing with the USF one. Who do you have for the best jersey of, of the Battle of the Beach? I'm rocking with Jimmy Jarakios's design for the USF Ice Bowls. If you're not following him on Twitter, he put out a thread today. He just wrapped up his work with USF, and he's been behind like this massive, massive social media and branding push for the Ice Bowls, and he did such a stellar, stellar job with these jerseys and so, so much more. I'm going with the classic here. I like FAU. I think it's original. I like the idea that like if you're watching on TV, you probably don't notice that they're wearing Hawaiian shirts on the ice. But like, you know, it screams FAU. It screams Florida. I like that they have the the Florida flag on their jerseys because I think the state flag is a cool look, but sometimes it clashes with your colors. For them, it just goes really well. And they got Florida on the other side. I would even take it a step further. I would get a Matias Ware jersey if I could, a number 20. He just hit his 100th point after representing Argentina in the summer. So he's probably going to have a huge weekend. It should be an exciting weekend of college hockey down in Tampa Bay. But that wraps up this week's episode. Thank you. I mean, I'm glad we had the whole squad back for another one. Fitzy, you got any big plans this weekend? Who who we, who we taking on? We're taking on the Birmingham Bulls. Uh, two home games Friday, Saturday. Uh, older brothers are coming down to uh, watch. So it should be a, a really fun weekend. I'm looking forward to it. Love it. Love it. Collins, who do, who do we have this week? Uh, this week, we just have a, a home and home with Towson. So that'll, that'll be fun. Go home, see some buddies on the Towson team and see my family and should be a good time. I, I love the ECHA this year. It is it is a gong show right now. You, you thought George Mason was pulling away. They lost to William Patterson last weekend. You got Lehigh, who has a pretty good record. Navy's always in the mix. You got Villanova. I think it's it's anyone's race this year. 100%. This is the tightest this conference has ever been. It's not like all of a sudden all these teams got bad. All of these teams got pretty damn good. George Mason, after like watching them they're talented and same thing with with temple with i had never seen a lehigh team that talented in god knows how long they had an insane recruiting year this is going to be a conference to watch the entire season because you have no clue who's going to win this thing because it it's not like last year with when navy ran away with it it's this is going to be a surprise bid to nationals come late February. Herm getting ready for the weekend here. Like what's a must do in Athens when we go? I know like we're going to hit bird, but like what's something on, on your radar that maybe I don't have on the itinerary yet? Any of the coffee shops around town are a must hit because I know Murph has become a little bit of a caffeine enthusiast now that he's working in the real world. There's some spectacular spots that we're going to have to hit. We're excited for the weekend. As always, follow along with our journey. Hockey House Pod on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. We'll have all the coverage from this weekend's action in Athens. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next week. See you, boys.